ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm absolutely thrilled today to have with me Christian Harris. Christian, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. I've been looking forward to this. So as our listeners will have already noted, Christian is from not only East Texas, but far East Texas, far East Texas. So Christian, could you tell us where you're uh, talking to us from today? Yeah, Texas is big, but it's not quite as big to stretch to London. So I'm from London in the UK. Christian, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, so I've been working in the field of safety and specifically in the, the field of slips and falls and how to prevent them scientifically for over a decade now. And that all came as a result of a, a bad safety incident that I suffered, which kind of got me uh, interested in and inspired by how to make the world a safer place. So Christian, most of our listeners know I'm a recovering trial lawyer. And for the first 25 years of my life, I defended largely energy companies and petrochemical companies in uh, catastrophic plant accidents, property damage, et cetera. So I saw an entire shift in the attitudes towards safety in the energy industry. And so part of uh, what I wanted to explore with you is, is that shift. And I would even go further because many of the listeners to this podcast are in the compliance realm. And the thing I find so not only interesting, but instructive about the safety industry is in many ways, the safety industry is far ahead of the compliance realm in terms of policies and procedures, training, monitoring on that training and improve continuous improvement is necessary. So I really yeah. am interested to talk to you about your approach to safety and how maybe a compliance professional can draw upon your experience, uh, breadth of expertise to maybe incorporate those so let me tell you the story I, I saw as a trial lawyer. And there were several major and major plant catastrophes, major loss of life, major property mm. damage in the late 80s, leading up to what was then the largest environmental disaster, at least in America, which was the Exxon Valdez. Yeah. And that was a ship that ran aground in Alaska, dumped a lot of oil, but it was owned by Exxon. And Exxon took a huge beating, obviously, for that. And they made the decision that would not happen to Exxon again. And to implement that decision, they made clear safety now became number one at Exxon. And yeah. they inculcated it at the top. They pushed it down. They trained on it. But the most significant thing was Exxon said, if you want to do business with us, safety has to be your number one priority. And so I represented smaller contractors who might do work in an Exxon facility, et cetera. And everyone had to up their safety game, literally, to the smallest contractor who came in to take waste away. And it really changed the attitude of safety in the energy industry. And so by the late 90s and into the first decade of this century, things like in white-collar workers in offices were talking about safety in board meetings and things like that. We had, I was at Halliburton and annually we had a worldwide stand down once a year to talk nothing about, but safety all day long. Mm -hmm. 
and I was a lawyer and we were talking about safety. I gratified my heart to see that, but that was the sort of mental shift that was made. So I wanted to maybe start at that, that point. And from the, the perspective that you try to bring to safety is hmm. the, are the conversations you're having with your clients and potential clients, are they really putting safety number one? And, and does it start literally with the tone at the top and push it down through the organization or is it something else in your world? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. And I think you have hit on something about the energy sector. And the energy sector is, I think, at the forefront of this, because I think they do take it seriously. They do live and breathe it. Uh, and they do enforce that compliance of safety, uh, as you've um, talked about all the way through their supply chain. If you go into other sectors, though, I would say my experience is that safety is uh, less important there are still though lots of platitudes so people will say safety is our number one priority but they will talk the talk but not necessarily walk the walk and so i spend a lot of time trying to uh, educate people as to the value of safety and i've coined a little term called safety nomics where i talk about how safety drives business performance and how safety should be lived and breathed and go through every part of the organization in a proactive way because it will help you to achieve great business and organizational outcomes. So it's getting people to <clears throat> stop thinking of safety as like the safety police and that they're there to block things from happening, but actually look at safety as a massive enabler of culture, of high performance, of profit, and therefore the great outcomes that a business would want to achieve. Can you maybe give us a, I'm not going to ask you for your entire program today, but maybe a highlight or two of how you help a business leader understand exactly what you said. Safety leads to a variety of positive outcomes, including higher performance, including greater ROI, including greater business efficiency. How do you help them understand that dynamic? Yeah, so I think it's helpful that we've got this ESG trend happening in the world because everybody's cottoned on very quickly to the whole environmental piece. And actually, safety is very similar, uh, but it just takes somebody to have that fresh perspective of looking at it akin to environment so if you look at a big brand let's say a retail brand if they are found out to be doing things that are harmful to the environment let's say in china or something like that throughout their supply chain they're going to see a huge amount of negative press they're going to see customers campaigning against them they're going to see a lot of business etc etc and i think people have started now to understand that in this broad area of esg if they don't do things right then they will suffer some consequences. So I think there is that kind of push factor that people are starting to understand and safety can be brought under that same kind of church. From a pool perspective, there's lots of good research out there and it's about just getting people to empathise with it and understand it in their own terms and it's meeting them where they're at. We can preach away about how safety is important, but actually let's understand what these executives want to achieve and then, then let's educate them on how safety can be a platform or a foundation for them to, to achieve those things. And so really <clears throat> radical empathy of understanding where they're at, what their objectives are, what their goals are, what's in it for them, how are they going to get their bonus at the end of the year, how are they going to get promoted, how are they going to get good press and all of those sorts of things. What can we do as a safety or a compliance professional to enable them to achieve those goals, draw those strings together, tie those knots up, and that's how... I go about trying to, to get people on board at a senior level. 
It's interesting you started with ESG because one of the first times I heard that phrase ESG, I literally thought it was environmental safety and governance. Mm. Now, part of that's due to my background, but I see safety as just directly stamped not only into the S, but also into the G because I see yeah. safety as a part of overall corporate governance program. Does that uh, resonate with the approach you take? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a helpful way to frame it because then you're ticking the two boxes almost. And I'm not a big fan of box ticking when it comes to safety, because I think that can be a bit dangerous. But just to use that analogy, if you're ticking two of the three boxes, talking about a particular topic, you've got more chance of getting somebody on board to consider it and, and look to do something better in that space. Kristen, the general process in the compliance world is as follows. You should identify your risk through a risk assessment and put a risk management strategy in place based upon your risk, train on that strategy for policies and procedures, then train on those, monitor the results of your training, and then improve as appropriate or as necessary. Does that general process work in the safety arena that you advocate? Yeah, I think it does. I guess the one thing I would add into that and the advice I give people, particularly in my specialist field of, of slips and falls, is that prior performance is not necessarily an indicator of future performance. So if we look at slips and falls or manual handling or any of these kind of areas of safety that are potentially perceived as lower risk, it's very easy to think, oh, we haven't had many of those incidents and therefore we won't go into that much detail in this particular area if we're doing our risk assessment just looking at our business. So I think it's really valuable to just take a step back and look a bit broader uh, look at your industry, um, look at the country, the world as a whole, look at where these big areas are, um, and just don't take for, don't take it for granted that because you haven't had a, an incident or some incidents in the particular area, that those that means that you're doing things that might just be that you're being pretty lucky. So I would always try to have that slightly broader perspective rather than just looking uh, at our risk in particular. But But in terms of do the risk assessment, put in place the mitigations, monitor and improve that's exactly the way that it should be done with a focus i would suggest on monitoring and improving the inputs rather than monitoring and improving the outputs because you can't necessarily control uh, all of the outputs but you can control the inputs well and that really leads to my next question because my experience has generally been in an industrial setting when as you said you can at least control the inputs but in the slip and fall arena, I would expect that would include commercial businesses that are going to have yeah. customers, which you may have less opportunity to control even the inputs. How do you help uh, a business that has a consumer base? I guess I could say Burke and mortar. If we can yeah. go old school, how do you help them uh, really understand you're going to have a large population in your store, in your business that you can't control? Uh, how do you help them to manage that risk? So when it comes to slips and falls, I've come up with this model called chimes, which are the six reasons that somebody might slip. So there's contamination, which is what's on the floor. Uh, there's heel, which is the footwear. There's individual, which is the human factors. There's maintenance, which is all about wear and tear, change of use and cleaning. There's environmental. So that's the weather, but also the built environment. And then there's surface, which is the floor. So you're right in what you say, that if you're in a manufacturing facility, you've got more control over all six of those areas. Uh, whereas in a shopping center, let's say, or a, or a restaurant or a fast food outlet, you have less control because you've got members of the public and you can't necessarily control all of their behaviors. You can't control 
uh, what they're wearing on their feet, etc. But I think the important thing is to understand that full uh, framework. And then if there are areas that you can't put as much control in place, you need to put more emphasis on the others. So you're trying to get an equilibrium across all six. If there are any that you can't control, put more emphasis on the others. And that should offset the lack of control that you have in certain aspects. How do you help a company understand or even work through the governance aspect of safety, Christian? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that it's getting easier in the kind of digitized world of tracking what's actually happening and being able to prove what you've done. As you'll know from your experience, or, or certainly I'm not familiar with the US system, uh, the, the legal system, but in, in the UK, if you go into court and there's a problem, uh, it's all about what did you say you were going to do? And then can you prove that you did what you said you were going to do? And often people fall down on either that what they said they would do is not sufficient, so they haven't done a sufficient risk assessment, or they have done a sufficient risk assessment, but they haven't followed through with what they said they would do. And so in this kind of digitized world, the tracking and the evidencing of what you've actually done is much, much easier. So I think that becomes therefore easier to have oversight on from a governance perspective on what's happening and starting to monitor that and ensure that you're achieving the right kinds of outcomes. Um, but it is it can be difficult because quite often safety is disconnected from the board. The board have, has the governance oversight, but actually th the things are happening on the shop floor and there's often layers in between. So a key part of it is about how you communicate throughout the organization and what systems and processes you put in place to enable that kind of tracking. Christian, one of the reasons I am a pro ESG advocate is that I see ESG as actually a business process and it's a business process and we'll take safety as a prime example. Safety obviously has been going on for quite some time. I was in the field, you are in it now. They're safety experts, but safety was, and perhaps still is, generally siloed within an organization. And you just spoke to that, the siloed nature of safety. What I saw ESG bring was either a head of ESG or a board ESG committee or a company-wide ESG committee for the first time looking at the components of the E, the components of the S, and the components of the G in a holistic way which I had not seen previously. And I no. wanted to use that as an introduction to ask, are you seeing uh, safety having its visibility raised through the ESG process? Or are we able to get the word out that really you just said better than I ever could about the disconnect between the shop floor and the board floor? I do think it's helping. It, it's obviously easier in a larger organization. So you might have um, somebody who oversees ESG, or you might have a director or a head of risk management, for example, with and safety could fall under their remit. But I do think that unless you've got some presence on the board, it's always going to be a little bit difficult. So I'm always a big advocate for having some kind of safety presence on the board, whatever job title that might fall under. Uh, but obviously, that's only really possible within organizations of a certain size. If you're a, an SME, a, a, you know, a small business with 20 people, you're not going to have a, a head of safety on the board because you can't afford to have a head of safety at that size in, in most cases. So it is helping. I think the awareness is, is getting better. We've certainly seen in the UK as well in the last sort of six or seven years, changes in the court system and the level of fines for safety. And that's driving better levels of compliance because the the penalties for getting it wrong have become a lot more severe. 
than they were before. So there's lots and lots of trends that are helping. So the times I've been in board meetings and there's a safety discussion, it's generally once a year, five to 10 minutes, number of incidents, number of reportable incidents, as opposed to incidents, lost time injuries, and if any, fatalities. Yeah. Perhaps a discussion about the insurance cost, but yeah. or only perhaps. So safety was not got, did not receive a lot of uh, time before the board. So I want to use that question to maybe ask you if you were counseling a board about the board's role in safety, how would you counsel a board to think about their role in safety, recognizing that they're oversight, they're not management and they're not going to go into the weeds. How do you help them understand their role? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Tom. I have heard so many examples of safety professionals being asked into the board uh, meetings to present. And the question they get asked is, so are we safe? In other words, it's a closed question. And they're just, they just want, all they want to hear is a yes. And actually there's a lot more nuance to this than that. So I think the first thing I would say is that you need to understand that there is some nuance to this and it's not black and white. And I think that's one of the challenges of within the safety realm, the word compliance, because you can be compliant to regulations and to laws, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. So safety can stretch beyond compliance. So that's one kind of key differentiator and key thing that boards should understand. Are we compliant is not necessarily the same as, as are we safe. Some of the stuff that's happening nowadays that's really making a positive impact are things like safety call. Uh, so people are engaging with their workforce at all sorts of levels and getting a bit of a pulse check and monitoring that. In addition, of course, to things like instant rates, and that's giving them a barometer for how well they're doing. Again, that's more suited to a large organization than, than a smaller one. But getting some of this qualitative stuff into the eyes of the board is going to be very important. And I suppose the main thing I would say is to be proactive and that you've got to walk the talk. If you're going to make statements like safety is our number one priority, you need to be investing in it. You need to be making sure people are focusing on it. You need to be encouraging people to do it. You need to be, to some extent, dealing with people that are not doing it well and making sure you root out any problems. So following through with with your stated outcome rather than just putting out there as a platitude is what I would suggest to a board. Let me change the focus just a little bit and draw upon hmm. my experience, recognizing it was some time ago. If I went into a plant, a physical facility or other that safety was not a priority and it just had a different feel. Uh, I hate to say vibe because I don't think I used the word vibe back then, but it had a different vibe, <laughs> but it, yeah. it really impacted what I would now call culture. Mm. And that if there was not a rigor around safety, corners were cut in a wide variety of areas, not just in the safety arena. So I really wanted to end by asking you about the intersection of safety and culture. And do you help, do boards or other senior management understand how a culture of safety really not only speaks to a culture, but can improve an overall corporate culture? Again, I think that awareness of that is increasing all the time. 
One of the challenges is that people, and I used it myself a minute ago, so I'm guilty of this as well. People use this term of safety culture. And actually, I would argue that, again, it's a bit more nuanced than that because you shouldn't necessarily have a safety culture. You should just have a good culture and safety should be a key component. So I do think that we risk sometimes in, in, in safety, talking about safety this and safety that, instead of, as I said earlier, we need to be an intrinsic part of the business. We need to be an enabler for the business and the organization and driving it forward. So I think we need to be mindful uh, of that. But I do believe that the link between a good culture, good safety outcomes and good business outcomes is being more and more understood. I think people inherently want their business to be safe. Nobody sets up a business and wants to kill their staff, their employees, their subcontractors. Nobody sets up a business and wants to injure their staff, their subcontractors, their customers, etc. None of us want to do that. So it's just about managing our understanding and our approach uh, and figuring out the right way to massage that journey through so that we achieve the outcome we want. And I think, like I've said a couple of times now, the key thing really is to live it and breathe it, not just say we, we all buy into safety, we want safety to be good. Let's actually drive it forward like we would if we were doing a cost-cutting exercise. We would be hammering people on costs to cut costs, wouldn't we, in a big organisation? Let's not hammer people on safety, but hammer them on safety by enabling all the right things to happen that we want to be in place. There was a great case study, wasn't there, from Alcoa, which I'm sure you're familiar with, when Paul O'Neill came in as CEO. They were already performing quite well on safety, but his strong view was to use safety as a kind of keystone habit. He really did live and breathe putting safety towards the top of the agenda, and they saw some fantastic outcomes. They had a great culture. They drove down their instant rates, and I think they increased their profits by seven times or something like that at the same time. That is a, a living, breathing case study of where putting safety at the top of the agenda has proven to work and achieve great outcomes. Kristen, that's a great note for us to end on. And unfortunately, we are at the end of our time. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on you, your business, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what might be the best place or places for them to go? Sure. Thank you very much, firstly, for having me on, Tom. It's been great. I enjoy, always enjoy talking about these topics. I'd really encourage people just to find me on LinkedIn. If you search Christian Harris Slip on LinkedIn, you'll pretty much find me. I should be at the top of the list. Always posting content there. Run regular webinars. I've got my own podcast as well called Safety and Risk Success and do lots and lots of good stuff. So yeah, if you want to learn more, follow me, find out a bit more about what I'm doing and come and get me on LinkedIn. Christian, uh, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me today. I hope we can continue this conversation. Thanks. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.